Hello, and welcome to The Faculty Chronicles, TFC, a podcast sponsored by the Turo Center on Excellence in Teaching and Learning and the Office of the Provost. Your TFC podcast hosts are me, Professor Gina Bardwell, and Dr. Elizabeth Uni. Across academic disciplines, Turo faculty are producing great work, and the Faculty Chronicles wants you to hear all about it. TFC podcasts will highlight faculty chatting about their favorite project in research, teaching, learning, science, medicine, technology, and so much more. So let's get busy building community, connection, and continuous conversation Turo-wide. Our next Faculty Chronicle guest is on deck waiting to chat. everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Faculty Chronicles. I'm Elizabeth Uni, your host, chair and associate professor at the Toro College of Pharmacy in New York. Our guest for the day is Carrie DiMatteo. Dr. DiMatteo was awarded her PhD in basic and applied social psychology at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. She has presented widely on the psychology of self-focused attention in social interactions. Her research has combined eye tracking and online video chats to investigate self-focused attention, specifically asking, why do we think about ourselves when engaging with someone else? More recently, Dr. Demeto has studied the psychology of the self in social media. She's a lead instructor for experimental psychology at NiceCast in Manhattan, and she directs the honors major in psychology. She's always on the lookout for her students to mentor in independent research or to assist with her research. Carrie, welcome to the program. We understand that you were recently awarded an innovation grant for increasing opportunities for psychology research experience. Tell us a little bit about this innovation grant. At um, NiceGas undergraduate division where I teach, we started um, asking students who take the introductory psychology classes to participate in research as part of the, um, that introductory class. And of course, this is done at colleges across the country where students, um, thinking about psychology specifically, where students in psychology participate in research happening, um, being done by faculty or by more um, senior students. Um, and then what I do with stu students who are further along in their undergraduate career is I um, recruit students to either um, take um, tutorial classes, these uh, classes called research skills, and also we have an honors major in psychology where students can complete an honors research project. So there are a few avenues available for students um, at the undergraduate level to both participate and um, ultimately if they're um, more motivated and interested to, to be able to conduct their own research from start to finish, so designing, um, implementing, analyzing everything. So since I've been at Toro for the last several years, I have supervised a handful of excellent, you know, senior honors projects too. And so that's what's been happening um, with the more senior students. And of course, the, um, the students in general survey of psychology are the ones who are participating in their studies as well. So we have the system set up where students can participate in other students' research, as well as students participating in, in my own research. So you are the lead instructor for experimental psychology. So how are students, you know, you said that you did not have uh, the setting when you walked in in 2017 and then you started this. So how are students responding to it? What is the feedback that you're getting from the students uh, 
in both the ways, being a part of research as well as being able to do research? What is the feedback? Uh, that's a great question. As part of the um, innovation grant, I did collect some data, um, as we do, to, to find out kind of how the the, how this was serving students. Um, I found out from students who, I, I sent a quick survey to students who had participated in research, just asking them some basic questions about how participating in a short, you know, less than 30 minute, 45 minute research study um, influenced their psychology education, you know, being at that introductory level. And all the feedback was really positive. So students saying that they had never participated in a research study before, didn't really know what it meant to participate in a psychology research study. So it's sim as simply as an exposure tool, I think it's excellent. Um, just anecdotally, uh, when I would meet with students as well for the research, they would always at the end of the study tell me they thought it was really fun, really interesting. Um, so look, Luckily, the research I've been doing most recently at Toro with students has to do with social media use. So this is something that's very relevant to most undergraduate students. Certainly, you know, there are some students who don't participate in social media, but um, most do. And they're interested in, I think, you know, most, most people are interested in how we use social media, what it might be uh, doing to us, uh, whether it's a useful um, use of our time or not. And so, so luckily at the end of a research study or just a brief appointment, you could talk to a student for a few minutes about what the research was about, uh, what it all means. And especially that kind of debriefing period is especially I think useful for students kind of getting the whole picture of what does it feel like to be in a research study and, and what is it all for? Um, and so I think hopefully with all of those encounters, you can kind of spark interest in students, hopefully for the future for, you know, either participating in research as um, undergrads later, or of course, for when they're applying to graduate school, um, it might become a little bit of an impetus of, I'm, I like doing this, I like research, so maybe I should look into a master's program or a PhD program or something. And ultimately, of course, as an undergraduate instructor, we want our students to go as far as possible in the field. So I like that I'm at least exposing them to that. That, that's very interesting because uh, many times faculty struggle with the fact of how to get students interested in research. Um, and many times the students ask the question, why should I do it, right? right? So unless there is some credit given to them for doing the research or something is given to them, it's always a struggle to uh, identify students for research because there is a lack of time. You know, they have so many things to do and many of them also work and then getting involved in research can become a struggle. Right. So, I mean, if I could jump in, Elizabeth, I would say too, yeah. you know, with, with the students who uh, work later or serve later as more like research assistants or conducting their own independent projects, I always sort of sell that or recruit that as this is an excellent opportunity to add a fantastic line to your resume or multiple lines to your resume um, to help you get into a graduate program if that's something you might be interested in or a psychology re related career, anything like that. So I do sell it as like an excellent opportunity at this undergraduate level. Um, so I think students see that, you know, they realize that graduate programs are competitive and many of our undergraduate students would love to go on, um, but they want to have options. And so uh, the more they can do to sort of make to distinguish themselves um, as candidates later, uh, this is a relatively easy way, uh, free way for students to distinguish themselves. And of course, they get uh, college credit for doing it as well. Right. 
Right. Yeah. So it says that you also direct the honors major in psychology at NiceGas. So have you seen your students when they finished their honors major in psychology going to a graduate school or what have been your success with that? Because as you said, we all want our students to be getting the highest level of education they can. So what have been your success with converting these, at least the major, uh, the honors major students into um, graduate programs? Great question. I have good, like recent anecdotal evidence for this. Um, so my most recent honors student was just accepted into graduate programs at Columbia and NYU. So she got to choose, which is fantastic news. Um, major congrats to her. Also a student who I um, supervised in an honors project, uh, maybe two years ago, uh, when Toro College had their last research day, uh, which would have been not this past spring, but the former, uh, she actually won the first place po uh, poster award. So an undergraduate student won um, this, this research award that is actually you know, being compared across the Toro Colleges, graduate included. And so uh, she, uh, that, that um, honor was part of the great recommendation letter that I wrote for her and she got into a program at Pace as a result. So I've had several of these recent honor students get into good programs as well as getting these beautiful you know, distinctions through, through the programs. I'm super proud of them. Well, could you, I'm sure you're working with them very closely to make sure that all these things are happening. So um, do you have any recommendations for faculty who are working to recruit students into research and also retaining them during the research? You know, sometimes we are initially successful in getting them and then, you know, you spend three months with them, you teach them a lot, you spend your time with them just to realize that they are like, well, I don't want to do this anymore, right? So what are some of the lessons that you have learned or the tips that you can share with our audience on how to recruit and retain students for research? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's something that I've always uh, struggled with as well. You know, we want to make sure that the time we put in as faculty kind of is um, equated in return because it is a it should be a win win relationship between faculty and student. Um, of course, uh, a basic a basic principle is if you're offering credit for their for their um, active participation, meaning uh, an advanced research class that they can take as a directed study or tutorial. Um, you're, you're retaining their commitment, at least for a semester, if not for two semesters. And so I've, I've found that if they're participating, if they're getting something specific from it, which, such as credit, um, that's kind of the best um, way to solidify the, um, the relationship, as opposed to being a sort of strictly volunteer experience, which might be something where students could kind of drop off at any time. So I do always require, you know, since I've been at Toro, um, students have always been getting credit for, for working with me, uh, which has been good uh, as far as just having course credit available. And so I think that's the best way. Um, you know, you can get a lot done in a semester with a student. So as long as you have that concrete relationship for that semester, that's probably the best. The other thing I would say, and I'm a social psychologist, so this like is particularly interesting to me. Um, you know, if you have a, if you create a community between your students and you call it a research team and you meet with several students together rather, you know, rather than separately. So at the most, most recent semester when we were still on campus, I had three students assisting me with research and we had you know, our weekly meetings. It was the four of us. And for, the, for them, they got to know each other. Um, they got to feel like they were part of a team. Uh, we did things like um, even like 
work on their professional development portfolios, so things that they would use to apply to graduate programs later. We did, you know, uh, kind of like article uh, sharing brown bag sessions where we talk about research related to what we were doing. So I think the more that you can create a community between students um, who are giving you so much if they're helping you with, with your research as a faculty, if you can create that social experience for them, I think that the, um, the return for them is greater. And I think that their investment will be, you know, it's a better, that, that kind of helps solidify as, as, as well. So how do you introduce this topic of research to these first year students? So I actually haven't been teaching the, that, that introductory class in the last couple of years. Um, the, so I think that several professors that do teach it probably do it a little bit differently. Like luckily there's always a chapter on research methods in those classes. Um, but this opportunity that I do provide, which is the chance to participate in research, I think most of the faculty I've talked to agree that that is kind of a, a great hands-on way that we do it. Um, so I think this would apply to any kind of any field or any whether you're, uh, graduate program too, you know, to make sure that they we have these classes where research is part of what the class is about, you know. And so luckily the faculty who do teach that class have all opened their arms to me as as, as agreeing, it seems, that, that this is an important part of what we want to teach to these um, first year, you know, students usually who are maybe interested in becoming a psychology major. So when you were at the, uh, doing your PhD program, you were surrounded by other PhD students, your advisors, everybody speaking research at that level, right? You were, you, you know, which kind of inspire you or which kind of like keep you on your toes. Like you're like, okay, the research that you wanna do. And then you come to an undergraduate program where, you know, you're trying to teach students the research or, you know, there's a whole different ball game now you're playing with. So how did the transition work out for you? You know, how did you make sure that you're, you know, in between all the teaching that you have to do, in between all the handholding that you have to do, that your research is also, um, you know, happening at the right pace, that you're not losing it and that it is still happening at the right, right pace. Because many times faculty, especially when they start, you know, you have to develop your teaching modules, you have to develop your exams and all those things and you don't have much time on research. So how are you keeping up the, your uh, pace for research? Uh, it's, Elizabeth, it's hard. Yeah, um, it's hard. I mean, I, you know, I have two young kids as well, just to throw that into the mix. And so it, it is hard to sort of um, balance my time and my energy to these things that I, that I care about. Um, it's lucky that I care about it. I like doing it. I love doing psychology research. I, you know, I'm glad that I teach psychology research, so I can't always be thinking about it. Um, one of the way, you know, so I don't think I'm succeeding at it. I hope that, you know, over the next few years, I continue to, to build uh, a research program at Toro. Um, one of the things that helps a lot I've noticed recently is conversations like this so you know meeting you and talking to you about research you know reminds me about other faculty at Tor that are doing research and how we might you know you know collaborations could be built you know there are other people thinking about this too and you know to just have conversations like this I think helps reinvigorate me it's similar to the experience of going to a really great conference right going to a really great conference where where that passion can be reinvigorated just by hearing and seeing other researchers who you respect um, doing things that are interesting to you. Totally agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, and you use that word collaboration, right? Getting to know other people who else is doing research is such an important part of, uh, you know, being on the toe with this research. 
So if you are thinking about, you know, how Toro can come together and form that community of research and collaboration across various schools, what will be an ideal one for you? What will you wish for as a community of research within Toro? That's a great question. I mean, you know, so there are a couple of things that are, are in place, you know, having attended uh, Toro's research day these last couple of years was um, was beneficial in this way just to see the great amount of research being done. Um, uh, you know, I tried to get involved with things like the um, what is it? There's a research collaborative or something that was involved in just planning for research day. So that's sort of there are a few, I think, committees that are sort of coming into place about uh, faculty across the colleges who are interested in research. So I am trying to meet those people and talk to those people. Um, so I think, you know, I, I just want to keep, you know, keep trying to, to find the other like-minded people like, like you, you know, people that are interested in research and doing research so that we can sort of um, share inspiration and ideas and practical advice and, and, and such. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to see just more, um, more of that sharing, you know, more sharing. Um, so this idea of, of, for instance, you know, I have undergraduate students who are interested in graduate programs and they'd love to be involved in research. And if they're interested in social work, I would love to hear from somebody in the Graduate School of Social Work about um, projects that are available that maybe an undergraduate might be able to assist with. And then I could, you know, talk to students of mine and find, find out who might be able to assist with uh, a faculty or a master's student who needs a little help. You know, so I think if we do think about, um, as faculty, about how we're lucky that we have so many varied programs under our, under our roof. I agree, I yeah. agree. So let's talk about your research. You do something very interesting, right? Uh, so when you read about it, you say that, why do we think about ourselves when we are engaging with someone else? That's, that's such a very interesting thing. And especially now that we are in this era of pandemic, you know, most of our meetings are through Zoom and you can see yourself on the camera and you see all these other people. And there's always a distraction of looking at you when you are also engaging with other people. So, and you didn't start this research after the pandemic started. You had this research going even before the pandemic started. So tell me about this research. What is it about and what are you finding? What are some of your observations? Yeah, it's so funny to think about, you know, so I, I remember, I remember, you know, it was probably nine years ago in a meeting with my two PhD advisors. And I was interested in this topic. And this is kind of a philosophical topic, the topic of self and what is the self and how do we think about ourselves? And it's this very you know, philosophical topic. But I was a psychology researcher and I wanted to be able to research this topic in a, in a kind of real way, a concrete way. And so this idea was born of uh, video chatting was already a thing nine years ago um, of what if we could measure when people are looking at themselves on the screen as an, would that be an accurate indicator of self-directed thinking or self-directed attention, which is a psychological, the sort of psychological concept. And so my advisors probably like kind of like chuckled and said, okay, you know, sure, we'll try it. Um, and so we luckily, one of my advisors in, in graduate school had the eye tracking equipment. And so we got ourselves set up right away. And that's most of what I did during my dissertation research were these eye tracking studies to try to, you know, the goal was to try to capture people's inner thoughts. And so um, you've got to admit when I'm doing it right now, when you look at yourself on the screen, 
there's internal, that's internal attention, even though it's externally directed. So you can't help but sort of be maybe self-conscious um, while you're looking at yourself on the screen. So there's, it's kind of the looking at yourself on the screen makes you think about yourself, but also it's possible that when you're thinking about yourself, you might check yourself. And so we actually called it self-checking. And so if you're ever on a Zoom call and you're checking yourself, uh, in the zoom window that's what my research was about that's what we were measuring and we tried to see you know we did different uh, manipulations to see when people would self-check more or less or what type of people would self-check more or less so we tested things like um, people's uh, personality differences in self-esteem we asked people to talk about self-conscious emotions like pride or embarrassment and see if that would instill or kind of provoke more self-checking. Um, so that's where the, the, the research was um, in, in, in graduate school. And so what did you find? So did you find that, is it like more men look at the self-checking than women or is it, um, you know, what, what did you find from that? Some of your findings from that? Uh, I don't recall there being gender differences, but like with many psychology research studies, we always had a disproportionate number of females over male participants. Um, but I do remember some of the big findings had to do with self-esteem. Um, so one interesting finding from an early study was that people who had higher self-esteem uh, looked at themselves more when they were talking about prideful moments and people who had lower self-esteem looked at themselves more when they were talking about more embarrassed moments. So we thought that was really interesting. Um, and there's social psychology theory that kind of backs why that's happening. It's the sort of confirmation of who you are. So uh, if you have higher self-esteem, you see yourself in a more positive way. And so you're doing that self-checking confirmation during those moments of pride, uh, as opposed to somebody who might have lower views of themselves doing that self-checking during those um, points where they might be more self-conscious, like having to talk about a negative emotion like that. Um, so that was an example of something that interesting that we found. Is this something that we should worry about or is it okay? Is self-checking okay? Uh, you know, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the things I remember sort of concluding from um, something, you know, a later finding having to do with how people who are more socially anxious might do more self-checking. You know, it's like the, the theory says that that self-checking might actually be a way to, um, to uh, calm some of the anxiety. So to reduce uh, people who are more socially anxious tend to do a little bit more self-directed attention uh, when having to engage with somebody else. Uh, it's possibly a bit of an avoidance of the other person who might be making you more anxious. Um, so I don't think we have anything to be worried about. Uh, but TBD, I mean, hopefully more people are doing more research with this now as, as this has become so much more prevalent. I wouldn't worry yeah. just yet. And what's interesting is I had to get away from that kind of stigma because so much of psychology research and theory does say that this attention we pay to, our, pay to ourselves is useful. It allows us to sort of check in. It's good to be self-conscious. You should be conscious of what you're doing and how you're coming across in a moment. So there are, there are goods and bads to these, these sort of check-ins with the self. Very interesting. So the other research that you're doing is on the social media itself. You know, the one that you were saying, especially your undergraduate students got so interested in that because it is how they're using social media, how long they are in social media, how is that impacting them? So tell us a little bit more about that research that you're doing. Yeah, thank you for asking. It's a perfect segue from where we just were. Um, the social media research was, was, you know, as I was leaving graduate school and thinking about starting up my some new faculty research as, as a new member of, at Toro, um, I 
plan to do social media research because social media has is so much about um, uh, how you present yourself online. So a lot of what it means to uh, be engaged with social media on one side is to to post. You uh, put a picture of yourself. Um, a selfie, you know, you put a picture of yourself looking fabulous um, on vacation with your beautiful kids. Uh, you often people share positive things um, that are going on in their lives, sometimes negative too. So, so much of what social media use means is, is so self-focused, uh, you know, so that was the kind of corollary from what I was doing before. This this how we are engaging in this self-focused attention. On something like social media and the name social means there's, you know, it should be about other people, right? And so are you using social, me social media as a way to boost yourself, to present yourself in the most positive light possible? Or are you genuinely using it just to check in on your relatives afar and make sure everyone's good? And so I was interested in how using social media perfectly can toggle back and forth between self-focused and other-focused attention. So some of the research studies I've been doing uh, recently, it's a simple manipulation, asking participants to log into their own social media accounts, spend some time looking at other people's content, so that's other focused attention uh, as compared to spending some time looking at your own content, like what you've posted recently. Uh, so you can do that pretty simply. That manipulation can happen in probably like 10 minutes per session, right? And, and then asking some questions afterwards about how people feel, sort of trying to gauge self-worth, self-esteem, following these quick manipulations of other focused or self-focused attention. Because I'm interested in, in, you know, people who spend two or four, eight hours on social media a day, uh, what is it, you know, and many other psychology researchers are doing this too. What is it, what is it doing to them emotionally? So, um, you know, one of the questions that I have been asking all my guests, and I want to ask you also that question, one thing that is very major these days is everyone talks about a work-life balance right? Uh, especially the academicians, this is becoming a struggle these days. The way you said, you know, having an active research going on, teaching, uh, mentoring students, you know, running a research lab, and having a family, especially with two little children, especially when you're starting your career, you know, you're, you're trying to get your career going, and then you have your family going. How are you doing the life balance, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I think again, I would just say I'm, I'm not doing it very well, um, but I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, I think um, I've talked to enough enough people who are also not doing it very well that uh, it's 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 the new community is the people that are trying our best to to balance you know work and life, and so I think that's the normal. I think I'm happy being average or normal in this way. I have to say thank you so much for being uh, with us today and you know talking to us about your research you know getting students engaged in research all very important for us at Turo. I'm so glad you were uh, our guest for the day and uh, well have a wonderful day and uh, that's it. Thank you Elizabeth it was so good to talk to you. Good to talk to you too. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Faculty Chronicles, TFC, Turo's podcast featuring the projects and work of faculty throughout the Turo College and University system. TFC is sponsored by the Office of the Provost and Kettle, the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning. We hope you like what you heard and will keep listening. So join us next time on the Faculty Chronicles as we highlight and share faculty achievements that build community, connection, and continuous conversation.